0: All right, turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to be mainly focusing on one verse today, but we are going to be doing things a little bit differently um, because we're going to look at the truth from this verse, we're going to back it up with two other verses, and then we're going to look through the scriptures and see three different examples of this truth from God's word. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Today we're going to be looking at the relentless pursuit of God towards mankind, or the relentless pursuit that God has towards us as individuals. Relentlessness, the definition of relentlessness, there we go, is showing no abandonment of severity, intensity, strength, or pace. So God is relentless as he pursues mankind, as he pursues us as individuals. And not many things are more relentlessly pursued in our world than the Olympic gold medal. all of us know that it takes a lot of relentlessness, discipline, and hard work to even get to the Olympics, let alone actually win an Olympic gold medal. American Rulon Gardner at the 2000 Olympics in Sydney was set to face the 13-year undefeated Russian, Alexander Carlin, also uh, known as the Russian Bear. Okay, Gardner definitely showed relentlessness as he wrestled this guy. Gardner actually wasn't even supposed to be in this match. He had never won an NCAA tournament. He had never, or championship, and he'd never won any medals in international wrestling before. So just to be in this wrestling match for him was a big deal. The Russian, however, the Russian bear, as they called him, he was the first wrestler to be a three-time Olympic champion. And this year, he was going for four. Everybody was watching the match because of this man. Not because of how good the game would be, or the match, sorry, Gallen, how good the match would be, but because they wanted to see history made when he got his fourth gold medal. The announcer before the game He said, if the 1980s U.S. hockey win over the Soviets was called the miracle on the ice, then this would be called the miracle on the mat. Well, as you guys know, it was the miracle on the mat. After the first round, where Gardner actually got out of the bottom position, which is where the Russian bear liked to score all of his points, he went into the second round 0-0. After the second round, he he was on the bottom several more times and actually got a point out of it. So it was 1-0. And there's only two periods, yet there's an overtime if somebody doesn't score three. That's how they do it in Olympic wrestling. And so uh, they went into overtime, and Gardner's still up 1-0. Now, everyone's expecting this awesome comeback from the Russian Bear, who has won it three times in a row. But Gardner, even though he gets put in the bottom position again, he holds him off, and he wins the Olympic gold medal, It was one of the biggest upsets of all time in Olympic history, and just like these Olympic gold medalists pursue that gold medal with everything they have, God relentlessly pursues mankind. It started in Genesis 3.15 when Adam and Eve sinned, brought sin into the world, but then God provided a way, right? He said, the seed would crush the head of the serpent. This is the mindset of God. The mindset of God is that all would have eternal life and that all would have abundant life. Okay, as a believer, God wants us to be in fellowship with him. He relentlessly pursues us. God hates death. He loves life. In fact, he is life. and He is life. And as we go through this today, I want you guys to be thinking because we're going to go through and we're going to see this relentless pursuit of God towards mankind and towards individuals. And as we look at it, I want you to be thinking, what does that mean for me? If God relentlessly pursues me, what should I be doing about it? Because that's going to be the end result and where we're going to get to at the end of this. So where do we find this, that God hates death and that he relentlessly pursues? Well, obviously, 2 Peter 3, 9, but is it anywhere else? One of the most famous passages in the Bible is John 3. three sixteen is the most famous verse in the Bible. And 15 through 17 says, So whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world or condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. You could pair this with Genesis 3.15, and that's all you need to say that God relentlessly pursues mankind, right? Because here it says, God so loved, that's agape love, the world, cosmos, that's everybody, that he gave his only son, that whoever, anybody who believes will not perish. All we have to do is believe in Jesus for eternal life, and we get it. And this verse right here shows by itself alone, but it backs up Second Peter 3.9, that God doesn't want anybody to spiritually die. He hates spiritual death. He hates spiritual death. I love J.B.'s quote when he, when he says about the story of the Bible. And he says that the perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. All you guys know that by heart probably because he says it so much. And it's so good because that is the story of the Bible. And what is that? It's relentless pursuit. It's God not giving up on us and desiring us. He could have gave up on us in the garden as soon as Adam sinned, but he doesn't. He relentlessly pursues us. Here's another verse uh, that I saw, and I really love this verse. Uh, I was reading through the Bible. uh, I can't remember when, a few months ago or something. But anyway, when I was just reading through Ezekiel, you know, you kind of zone out through like Ezekiel when you like, if you're reading or listening, right? Uh, but this verse, I woke up when I heard it because I loved it so much. It says, cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? So God's talking to Israel. He says, hey, turn back to me. Turn back to me. I don't want to destroy you. And then this is interesting. because He says, for I have no pleasure in the death of Israel. No, he changes it to anyone. I thought that caught my eye. God doesn't want anyone. He doesn't delight. He doesn't take pleasure in the death of anyone who dies. He doesn't like physical death, declares the Lord. Therefore, repent and live. That's uh, context. He's saying, hey, change the way you're living and live. Okay. I love this because God hates physical death. He hates spiritual death. He hates physical death. We are the ones that brought death into the world, not God. Sin did. He gave us free will. We sinned and brought that into the world. When I saw this verse, I was like, wow, I love this verse because it shows that God doesn't like it when people die. He doesn't doesn't like death. Okay, now let's go back to our verse. Okay, You guys should be there in your Bibles. I'm going to read verses 3 all the way through verse 9 to get a little bit of context. This is 2 Peter chapter 3. Look down at verse 3 with me. It says, Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded by water. But by his word, The present heavens and the earth are being reserved for fire and kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly man. But do not let this one fact escape you, brothers, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." I love this because the context of this verse, Peter's talking to this church and he's like, hey, in the last days, which we're in the last days, says, hey, in the last days, there's going to be these people and they're going to come and they're going to say, Jesus is not coming back. You know why? Because if he was, he would have already. Jesus would have already came back if he was coming back. So he's not coming back. And Peter says, no, that's a lie. The Lord is not slow about his promise. He's going to fulfill. Does God keep his promises? Yes, three of you know yes. The rest of you, he does keep his promises, okay? All right, so the Lord's not slow about this promise. He's gonna keep it. As uh, some count slowest, he's not slow. But, here's the contrast. But he is patient towards you, not wishing that any, there's that word any, should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The last three verses we looked at, all of them have this theme, and it's all, or every, or whosoever, or anyone, okay? God's love the entire world, that he gave his only God's son, that anyone who believes, Ezekiel says he is not, uh, does not delight in anyone who dies. Here it says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God relentlessly pursues everyone. And it's interesting in this verse, because it's almost like the reason he hasn't come back yet is because he loves us so much, he wants more of us to come to him. Which is crazy in my mind. And that's one of the reasons I love this verse so much. It's like, hey, he's not slow in coming back. He is coming back. But you don't know everything he does and he's waiting until he gets every single person he can. Because he loves people that much. And he doesn't love people as a people group. He loves people as individuals. Each individual person he loves. He loves me. He loves you. That's why he sent his son. And that's why he's pursuing us. Okay, this verse literally says that God is waiting to come back, okay? He has this time set, and he knows the time because he knows when everybody and all that stuff, he he has foreknowledge. So he's waiting for people to come back, not because he's slow, but because he desires all men to be with him. I think this is a really big deal, and I think it's really important, and I think it should change the way we live, which is what we're going to talk about in the end. But first, I want to look at three different examples of God or Jesus, both of them, pursuing individual people. Okay, so we're going to look at examples of this. Um, You're going to use your Bible a lot here. I have most of the verses up on the screen, uh, but we're going to turn to John chapter 21. If you want to turn there, we're going to look at the pursuit of Peter. John chapter 21, verse 15 through 17 is what we're going to look at. This is the pursuit of a believer who has failed the pursuit of a believer who has failed. And for you guys who are believers out there who put your faith in Jesus for eternal life, uh, you've probably failed. I know I have. And so I I think this one's pretty important for us. To get a little context, most of us know the context, but uh, Peter's messed up several times. The last time he messed up was when Jesus was arrested and he was taken. And then Peter and one of the others get inside the like inner court area. And some people start asking Peter, hey, Aren't you with him? Aren't you a part of this guy, Jesus? And three times he says, I never knew this guy. I don't know this dude. I don't know Jesus. Okay, that's a failure, right? He should have stood up for Christ, but he didn't. He does it three times. The rooster crows. You guys all know that that storyline. So at that point, he has failed. I think he's already a believer here. In fact, I think he believed in the coming Messiah before he even met Jesus, then he sees Jesus as the Messiah, and at the wedding, when he turns the water into wine, Jesus, there are five disciples with him, one of them is Peter, it says they believe, so I think he believed in Jesus as a Messiah right there, and then he gradually learns more about the Messiah, and his death, and resurrection, he didn't even understand all that until he rose again, but I believe he's a believer here, when he denies Christ, okay, and so he's a believer, he denies Christ, but then Christ rises from the dead, he appears, everything's great, but Peter still has this failure in his past, right? And sometimes we have that too, right? This thing that like lingers over us. Well, look at how Jesus uniquely deals with Peter as a person in John chapter 21. He denies Jesus three times and look at what Jesus says to him. So when they had finished breakfast, so they all eat breakfast. I think they're getting up and walking here. If you look later on, it shows that and Peter and Jesus are walking, okay? And uh, John at least is behind them. And Jesus says to Simon Peter, "Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these?" He said to him, "Yes, Lord, you know that I love you." And he said to him, "Tend my lambs." And he said to him again a second time, "Simon, son of John, do you love me?" And he said, "Yes, Lord, you know that I love you." And he said to him, "Shepherd my sheep." And he said to him a third time, "Simon, son of John, do you love me?" And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tin my sheep. I love this because it shows Jesus relentlessly pursuing Peter. Not for eternal life. Peter already actually had eternal life this morning, but it shows him relentlessly pursuing Peter in that fellowship aspect. He wanted fellowship with Peter and he wanted Peter to fulfill his role here on earth. Ten my lambs. Shepherd my sheep, Peter. So he's pursuing him so that Peter can fulfill his role and so that him and Peter can have a, a close relationship together. Same way God pursues us. Same way Jesus pursues us, right? He pursues. This is relentless pursuit, I think. And I love this. I love this passage. Some of you might say, though, of course, God pursues Peter, Right? He's an apostle, right? He's a disciple. He's one of the big dogs, the big wigs. So, of course, he's going to pursue Peter. But does he pursue anybody else? I apologize. I didn't put the verses up there for you to read. But yes, he does pursue other people. And we're going to look at two more. Okay? The next one is Hagar. Okay? The pursuit of Hagar. If this is a pursuit of one that is not chosen... A pursuit of one that is not chosen. And this is Genesis chapter 21, if you want to turn there. We'll look at it. It starts further back than that, though. If you want to write down Genesis chapter 16, that's very important to this as well. Hagar and Ishmael, they're in the lives of Abraham and Sarah, right? So Abraham and Sarah are told by God that they're going to have a kid. And that kid, the seed is going to go through that kid, right? But they're old. And so Sarah's like, I don't know if this is actually going to happen. I'm not sure if this is actually going to happen. And so she says, well... Why don't you uh, sleep with my maidservant? That'll fix everything. Perfect. And everyone's like, "Okay, I'll do that. That's fine." And uh, he doesn't really think about it, and or he thinks about it and decides to do it. So anyway, they decide to sin to try and uh, to try and work out God's will on their own. Well, they sleep together. Hagar uh, gets pregnant. This Egyptian handmaid, and Sarah then hates her. And it says in Genesis 16 that Sarah was. Uh, looked little or looked small in the eyes of Hagar. So Hagar and Sarah now have this relationship that's no good anymore. It's it's a broken relationship. In fact, in Genesis 16, Sarah decides that she's gonna mistreat Hagar so badly that she'll run away. She's like, I'm gonna mistreat her so bad so she'll run away because I don't want her in my life anymore. And so she does. And Hagar runs away. But an angel of the Lord comes to Hagar and says, go back to your mistress, okay? Serve her, stay there. Okay, so there's this terrible relationship. 16 years later, 16, 17 years later, Ishmael is born. He's not—he's not born 16 years later. That'd be a really long pregnancy. Uh, but he's actually 16 years old. So he's born, and 16 years pass. He's about 16, 17 years old. And um, Isaac is also born, and he's weaned at this point. When we get to uh, this passage here, okay, he's weaned, and he is mocking. Isaac. And so Sarah says, get rid of them. Get rid of Ishmael and Hagar. We don't want them anymore. And if you look down in your scriptures, this is not on the screen, but if you look down at verse 11 of Genesis 21, this matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. He loved Ishmael and he didn't want, it's still his son. He didn't want to kick him out, but God said to Abraham, don't distress because of the lad and your maid. He was distressed because of Hagar and Ishmael. Whatever Sarah tells you to do, listen to her, for through Isaac, your descendants shall be named, okay, and the son of the maid, I will make into a great nation because he's your descendant. So then Abraham, he's like, okay, I'm going to do this because God said he's going to provide for him. He's going to make him into a great nation. So Abraham trusting God, he gets a bunch of provisions ready for him and he sends him off and that's where we're at in verse 15 right here. Okay, so follow along. This is what's going on. They've been traveling. We don't know for how long, but long enough for their water to be gone, okay, which is probably a while. It says, when the water in the skin was used up, she, Hagar, left the boy, Ishmael, under one of the bushes. Then she went and she sat down opposite him, about a bow shot away, for she said, do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite of him and lifted up her voice and wept. So right now they're at rock bottom. Ishmael and Hagar. Ishmael is dying of thirst. Why is she not dying? I'm assuming, I don't know, it doesn't say, but I'm assuming he gave her the last of the water. Okay, 16, 17 year old boy gave his mom the last of the water. So she is going to survive for a little while longer, but he's dying because he's, he's thirsty. He hasn't got water. Okay, so she puts him under. She helps him get underneath of a bush into some shade to get him more comfortable. And they're both, they're both weeping. They're both crying because this is the end. Okay, yeah, here's the pursuit of God. God hears. This is verse 17. God hears the lad crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear. For God heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him by the hand, for I'll make a great nation out of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water, gave the lad a drink. So here we see the pursuit once again of someone, but this time they are outcasts and they're not chosen. Of course, God is going to pursue Peter. But now he's pursuing a woman who through sin had a kid who was made in sin and were kicked out from the lineage and nobody wants, and yet he's pursuing them. God pursues everybody. He wants, he desires all men. He's pursuing everyone. He didn't abandon them because they were rejected. And guess what? He didn't abandon them because they weren't in his plan, in this one specific plan. Remember we said the story of the Bible is God bringing, uh, perfect God bringing sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. The story of the Bible is following this seed, Jesus Christ who's eventually going to reconcile the world to himself, right? Well, where's Hagar fitting that? And where's Ishmael fitting that? They're not in the line. They're not on that seed flow. So even though they're not in that specific plan of God, he doesn't abandon them. He doesn't reject them. And that's different, by the way, that's different than almost every other God I can think of. False gods, obviously. But every other false God, they say my people are my people and I'm gonna protect them and everybody else I will destroy because they're not my people. But God loves everyone, and he desires everyone. Okay, you might say, though, Hagar and Ishmael, they're connected with Abraham. So maybe that's why God pursued them, because they're connected with Abraham. We have one more that we're going to look at, the pursuit of Manasseh. Okay, if you don't know anything about Manasseh, he was terrible. Okay, and uh, this is the pursuit of someone evil. Does God pursue somebody that's evil? It's kind of a trick question, right? Because we're all evil. So yeah, he does. So let's look at this pursuit of this guy that's evil. It's really cool. Um, I really like it. This is uh, from Second Kings 21. We'll read 2 through 9 in your Bibles if you're looking at them. It says, He, meaning Manasseh, did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord disposed before the sons of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah's father destroyed, and he exalted the altars for Baal and made an Asherah as King Ahab of Israel done. And he worshiped the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem, I will put my name. For he built the altars of the hosts of heaven in the two courts in the house of the Lord. And he made his son pass through the fire and practised witchcraft, used divination and dealt with mediums and spiritists. And he did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Then he set the carved image of Asherah. Uh, that he had made in the house of the Lord and said to David, his son, uh, which the Lord said to David and his son Solomon, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I've chosen for all the tribes of Israel, I'll put my name forever. And I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more in the land, which I gave their fathers, if they will observe and do all according to I have commanded them. And according to all the law that my my servant Moses commanded them. But they did not listen. And Manasseh seduced them to do even more evil than the nations who the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. Yeah, this is interesting because this is a very wicked man. Okay, he all Hezekiah was a good king. Okay, and he uh, brought revival in some aspects. He destroyed a lot of false idols, and then Manasseh comes behind him. He reigns for 55 years. Okay, and he sets up a bunch of idols. He offered, when in verse 6, when it says his son passed through the fire, okay, he offers his son as a burnt offering to Molo, the false god Moloch. Okay, and he, it says, seduced the people of Israel to do the same thing. Okay, witchcraft, divination, all that. He was in deep, okay, and this guy should have known God. And He probably did know of God. Yet he was super evil, okay? And so we might say in our minds, like, why would God pursue this guy, right? Why would God pursue this guy? Just get him out of the way. And why did God let him reign for 55 years? Why did He let him? We don't know, necessarily know the answer to that, but it's kind of interesting because if you turn to uh, 2 Chronicles 33:10, okay, it already said that God had told or had told them not to do this, and they rejected. But look at this. This is this is the pursuit. Okay, this is the pursuit of God. It says, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people and they paid no attention. Right there, you could stop right there and say God is pursuing Manasseh because he spoke to Manasseh, right? Well, let's keep on reading because God pursues him even, even more. It says, therefore, the Lord brought commanders of armies against Assyria and against them and he made camp, uh, or sorry, and they captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with bronze uh, chains and took him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, he entreated the Lord his God, and humbled himself greatly before the Lord, the God of his father. So he gets captured and he humbles himself. Okay, If I was God, which is a good thing I'm not, I would have been like, too bad, sucker. Like, Look what you've done. Okay? But that's not what happens. When he prayed to him, he was moved by his an entreaty, and he heard his supplication, and he brought him again to Jerusalem, to the kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. So Manasseh ends up turning to God at the very end of his life, after all this evil and this wickedness, I mean, look at the grace of God there, right? And look at his relentless pursuit. God knows, God knew Manasseh at the end of his life was gonna turn, so he relentlessly pursued. And he relentlessly pursues every person. Even just by sending his son, he relentlessly pursues. Manasseh still had consequences, obviously, but the important thing is here that God was the one pursuing him. God was pursuing this evil man, so um, I think that's the important part. So we've seen that God has pursued a believer who's failed, Peter. He's pursued Hagar and Ishmael who were castaways and not chosen for this specific plan of God, and he's now pursued a very evil person. Why? Because he desires all men to be with him. He desires all men to be with him. So why does any of this matter? Okay, why does any of this matter at all? Okay, is it just to give us a good feeling that God loves us? Okay, I mean, it should, it should help us and comfort us, but there's stuff we should do too, I think. First thing is realize that God doesn't just love certain people. And the reason this is important because there's people out there that say that. There's preachers out there that say that. There's random people out there that say that. In fact, I've heard somebody, a very famous preacher say, you know, God loves everyone. But his love for believers is a truer, deeper, realer love. And that, I mean, that could sound right, right? But it's not. You can just say, quote John 3, 16. In fact, I, when I heard that for the first time, uh, I like to dig into things when I hear stuff, right? And so I started digging because I was like, that doesn't sound right. So I started digging into that and I didn't have to dig any further than John three sixteen, right? Because that word love there is agape love. That's the strongest love there is. And he says he has it for the whole world. For everyone. Okay, so God doesn't just love certain people. He loves every single person. Every single person. Which should uh, probably change our minds or change the way we respond to people. Because if God is relentlessly pursuing your really annoying, fill in the blank, co-worker or wife or husband or whoever, if God is relentlessly pursuing them, how should we be treating them? If God loves them, how should we be treating them? Okay, God isn't just relentlessly pursuing you. He's relentlessly pursuing everybody next to you too. He's relentlessly pursuing all those people out there that didn't come to church. He's relentlessly pursuing everyone. So that should change the way that we look at people, that change the way we we treat people, I think, as well. Okay, If God relentlessly pursues us, what should we do? That was one thing. That was kind of a a bonus for you guys. There's a couple other things that I think of. Okay, if he's relentlessly pursuing us, I think we should relentlessly pursue him. And one of the ways that we can do that is by staying in fellowship with him. Okay, if 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 you're out there and you've never believed in Jesus for eternal life, that's the first thing, right? Believe in Jesus for eternal life and you get it. Okay, but if you're out there and you're a believer, you've already placed your faith in Jesus for eternal life, you need to be relentlessly pursuing him back. Part of that is staying in fellowship. Okay, this is a little chart my dad made up, and uh, I just turned it into like a little computer thing. So it, uh, this is salvation right here. Okay, so say somebody gets saved. Saved by faith, John three sixteen. Okay, we have these waves of temptation. We have this uh, wall of sin that breaks fellowship with God. And so we're up here, we're in fellowship, we get saved, we sin, because we're tempted. Okay, but the Holy, we're still saved, so the Holy Spirit convicts us. We confess, First John 1, 9 says he's faithful and just forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're back up here, walking in the Spirit, okay, abiding in Christ, waves of temptation, they come again, okay, this is what we want to see every time in our life, but it doesn't always happen, we get this temptation, but we resist temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that God's going to provide a way of escape, and he also says that we're not tempted uh, in any way that anybody else is, we're all tempted, right, and so we resist that temptation, we're still abiding, okay, so this is what we want to look like, we want to be up here in this fellowship, in this abiding, in this walking, but sometimes we sin, Okay, we're still saved, the Holy Spirit convicts, but we decided we wanna remain in our sin for one reason or another. And then we start getting discipline and loss of rewards. The good news is we can still confess, get back up in fellowship with Christ. It's beautiful. But our goal, if we wanna relentlessly pursue God, is to stay up here, right? It's to walk in the Spirit, it's to abide, it's to stay in fellowship with him. That song that we sing, the worship song, like, Run to the Father, um, I like that song a lot. And as I was singing it, I was thinking about it because a lot of times we don't run to the Father. Like that, ver- that song says, I run to the Father again and again, and you say like again like 40 times, again and again and again and again. Sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes we run to other things. But we should be relentlessly pursuing God, relentlessly running towards God all the time. Part of that is by staying in fellowship, confessing your sins quickly. And some people, you know, at, all, at times we all have a hard time confessing, right? It's like we don't want to confess. <clears throat> There's been several times in my life where, you know, I, I don't want to confess because it's so fresh. Right? It's like I just sinned like three seconds ago, God. Like I, I need to let it maybe God's wrath cool down a little bit or something before I, I go to him and confess. Or maybe I, if you guys have ever, maybe nobody else has ever done this, but I'll like sin and then I'll confess. And then like 30 seconds later, I'll sin again. Like the same thing. I'm like, nah, I can't confess that. Like God doesn't want me right now. You know, that's, that's what my mind and my heart says, but it's so not true. He's relentlessly pursuing us and he wants us to relentlessly pursue him back, which is confessing right? Confessing immediately, getting back in that fellowship with him. Okay, but we also need to pursue him. We need to pursue him. When we're up here, let's pursue him. Let's strive to walk in the spirit, strive to abide by doing things like spiritual disciplines, quiet times, reading the scriptures, studying the scriptures, praying, getting in godly fellowship, and many other things that you guys can think of in your mind. This is something that I need to do to pursue God more. Okay, many of you out there pursue a lot of things, right? Think in your mind, what is something that I pursue? Do I pursue success? Okay, maybe not, maybe not your number one thing that you pursue, but do you pursue success? Do you pursue to be good at your job, to provide for your family? These, these aren't all bad things. Could be good and bad things. Do I pursue to be the best at academics or sports or whatever? What am I pursuing? And then say, am I pursuing God that hard? Am I pursuing God that hard? If a hundred people, let's say a hundred, let's say everybody in this building got an outline of their last year of life or maybe like a, even more than an outline, maybe a script of your last year. Would they look at the script and say, of your, all your thoughts, all your actions and look at it and say, man, they relentlessly, they have been relentlessly pursuing God said this in the first service but you know people look at my position as like a youth director and like automatically say yeah he's a he's relentlessly pursuing i god i'm sure because he's a youth guy at a church but i mean you take you take the script of my life for the past year and uh it might change your mind right so how much of our time is spent relentlessly pursuing god we have three applications and we'll be done first one is if you never believe in jesus for eternal life do it Believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. I know most of you out there have already done this though. So if you're out there, confess your sin and stay in fellowship. There may be something that you have right now that you need to confess. Do it. Do it right now in your seat, okay? And stay in fellowship with him. Try, resist temptation, if, right? That's the best way to do it. Resist temptation. Don't be like David, you know, uh, like we learned about here not that too long ago. Resist that temptation, okay? But then when you do fall, be like David. Confess it. Do it quicker than David though. Do it right away. Okay, so confess and stay in fellowship. And the third thing is resent- relentlessly pursue God. So think about something in your life that you can relentlessly pursue God. Like, I can relentlessly pursue God by praying to him at this specific time of day or something, you know what I mean? It's just different for everybody. But I, would, I can relentlessly pursue God by doing this. I played uh, sports growing up and if I wanted to relentlessly pursue being good at basketball, I had to make certain decisions in my life. Okay, I wasn't the best free throw shooter. I wasn't bad, but I wasn't good for a guard. Okay, I was a guard. Uh, and so I needed, I needed to get better at free throws. So part of my relentless pursuit of being the best basketball player I could be was specifically going and working on free throws. Right, I didn't do a very good job of it, but that's what I should have done. Okay, in your relationship with God, as a believer, your relationship with Christ, what's something specific that you need to work on and you need to say, this is what I need to do in order to relentlessly pursue God. Okay, God is pursuing you. He pursued Peter. He pursued Hagar and Ishmael. He pursued even an evil king, Manasseh. And by the way, he pursued a lot more. Think about Jonah, the people of Nineveh. Think about the Canaanites, the the evil people that Manasseh, it says Manasseh was worse than those evil people that God destroyed. Before he destroyed them, have you ever thought about what he did? In Genesis, I think it's 15. He tells Abraham, he says, hey, you're not going into your land yet because the time of their sin is not full yet. He's saying, hey, I'm gonna give them more time. I want to give them more time because I want every single one of those people. And then guess what? When they go into the land of Canaan, Joshua and they're getting ready to take those guys out, who had already heard about Joshua and about God? All those people. And that's why Rahab, who God also relentlessly pursued, came to God. He's relentlessly pursuing everyone. Just go through the Bible and look at it. And if he's relentlessly pursuing me and you and everybody else, then we should be relentlessly pursuing him back.